Hebrews. Book of Hebrews chapter 6. We'll just read a couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish or lazy, that is, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. I think that there is something within each and every one of us that responds positively to the stimulus of reward. It makes us instinctively work harder or to reach further or to give more generously or to devote more of our time and effort if we feel that it's worthwhile, if we feel that it's counting for something, if it's making a difference, uh, then we happily and gladly do it. However, there are those times when all we do, all our efforts just seem so unrewarding. Uh, no pat on the back, no acknowledgement, no well done, no appreciation for efforts. And we just seem to go unnoticed and unthanked. And we end up feeling perhaps that all that we have done is just valueless and that it really hasn't been worthwhile. And what's the point? Why bother? Why even continue to do this? Yet God says it is worth it. It is worth it. You will be rewarded. It does count with God. God has seen it. God has marked it. He will not forget it. Your reward is sure. Payday is coming someday. Amen. And notice what he says here. In that you have ministered to the saints. That means attended upon as a host or uh, as a helper. A friend, somebody who would come alongside and help you. So this is speaking of very practical things. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, that the Son of Man has not come to be ministered unto, but to minister. And yet, many, many times he was ministered unto. That wasn't his motive for coming, but he was ministered unto. Remember in Luke chapter 8, Mary Magdalene and Joanna, who was the, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, the Bible says, and many others who ministered unto him of their substance. So here were at least three well-off women, well-to-do, 
And out of their love for Christ, they, they ministered of their substance. You know, Jesus had a, a band of disciples, uh, men that had given up their professions and their work to follow Jesus around. And Jesus was no longer in the carpenter's shop. And so that required some practical help for them to just exist, to be taught of the Lord. So these women, seeing that, decided that they would minister unto him of their substance. Thank God for that. We know that certainly in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, uh, lots and lots of times he was ministered unto. He loved to go to that home. Here was one place where he felt totally comfortable. These were dear friends. Uh, these were people that absolutely loved him without question, and he loved them without question. And he loved to be there and to relax, and he, he must have felt that that was somewhere he could just simply relax, where no demands would be put upon him, that if he wanted to teach, he could teach. If he wanted to rest, he could rest. If he wanted to eat, he could eat. And it was just a lovely, relaxing home to be in, beautiful surroundings, uh, amiable company to, to keep. And so they ministered unto him again and again. In 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 16, and verse 15, it says, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Acacia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of, of the saints. Now we explained last week an entirely different message, an entirely different subject, that Stevanus, uh, it would seem to be Stevanus was the Philippian jailer, the one he had led to Christ and his whole family. And here they are ministering. They have caught the vision of, of practical, everyday help that they can do. They have devoted themselves. One translation says they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. I'm glad about the coming of Stephanus and uh, Phorichinus and Acacius, for what was lacking on your part they supplied, for they refresh my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. Now, it doesn't exactly tell us uh, what they ministered, but it looks like it was probably practical help, probably food, lodging, clothing, accommodation. Uh, these would be itinerant ministers. They would be passing through on their way uh, to some other village or some other town or city. And uh, so they would take care of them. They would look after them. And it would be counted as a work of labor, of love. And Paul says, this refresh me. And so God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love which you've shown towards his name. Motivation for ministry. What is our motivation for ministering? Why do we want to do it? Why do we want to continue to do it oftentimes when it seems like nobody cares whether it's done or not? When it seems like it's a thankless job. When it looks like there will never be any reward for this. Why, why do we want to keep doing that? Well, the answer is very simple. For whom do we minister? To whom do we minister? Well, he gives us the answer there in verse 10. Your work and labor of love 
that you have shown towards his name. If we're going to minister, whether spiritually, practically, in everyday ways, if we're going to minister, then it's got to be unto the Lord. That's what will keep you going when things seem to be thankless, unrewarded, no pat in the back, nobody seems to notice. That's what keeps you going because you're doing it for Christ's sake. Psalm 116, 12, Psalmist says, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? When we stop and think after all that the Lord has done for us, surely what we do for him, it's a small thing, isn't it? And so we do it unto the Lord. Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.14. He says, The love of Christ compels us. The authorized version says, constraineth us. And constrain here, sinicho, it means to hold together. Sin means together, S-Y-N. It means to be claimed by, to be totally controlled by, to be held together by. Paul was completely dominated. He was controlled by the love of Christ. That's what held them all together. That's why he did what he did. He says, it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the David Livingstone Memorial at Blantyre, Scotland, there's a cross on the wall with these words written on the left side of it. The love of Christ constraineth us, St. Paul. And the other side of the cross is written, the love of Christ compels me, David Livingstone. It's the same thing. The same love that compelled and constrained Paul was the same love that compelled the great missionary. And it ought to be the same love that compels and constrains us to do what we do. What compels the Sunday school teachers, the cell group leaders, the youth leaders, the worship team, those who lead the men and women's ministries, those who go on missions, those who run the charity shops and serve in them. Those who do mums and tots. Those who do the sound and the video. Those who clean the floor. You know, you come in here on a Sunday and everything's nice, spick and span. Seats is all nice and lined up. You think somebody put a laser beam up them. That's Ken. He does that. Somebody's got to do it. has to be done. And so all of these things, the communion to be set out every week and to be done right and done on time, all of these things, it requires ministry, it requires practical help. But what's the motivation? Is it Christ's love for us or is it our love for Christ? I think that it's both. I think that it's Christ's love for us first causes us to love him. He loved us before we ever loved him, before we ever knew him. And so his love for me compels me to completely commit. His love in me compels me to compassionately serve. You remember Peter and Jesus in John 21 and how that, thinking perhaps that ministry was gone, that the dream was ended, even though Jesus had been resurrected, but 
Surely things could never be the same again. And Peter decided he was going to go fishing and other disciples says, we'll go with you. And how they went out and they fished all night and caught nothing. And they were coming in the next morning, the breaking of the dawn. And a voice shouted, Man, have you got anything to eat? And they said, No. And the voice says, Cast your net to the right side of the ship. And they did that. And they got a miraculous catch of great fish. And Peter said, It is the Lord. And he dived into the water to make towards him. You remember how Jesus had already built a little fire and was cooking some breakfast for them, some fish? And then how he took Peter aside and three times he said to him, Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you really love me? Feed my sheep. You see, Peter had got a great ego. He really did. He'd got great pride. He was opinionated about everything and everybody and didn't care who heard him or who he spoke to. He even rebuked the Lord himself one day. And now he was going to have to serve the master in an incredible way. He was going to become the main leader of all the apostles in the first half of the book of Acts. But how could he handle this? Couldn't handle it with pride. Couldn't handle it with a big ego. But he's humbled now. And now he's going to have to do it and his motivation it's not going to be pride. It's not going to be ego. It's going to be love. It's going to be love for Jesus. And that love for Jesus would take him through to the rest of his life until he died a cruel death on a cross upside down. But his motivation would be the love for Christ, loving Jesus. And somehow or other, that has got to be our motivation. It's so easy if you are continually serving to become mechanical about it. I know that. I've been serving many, many years. And it's so easy to slip into just doing it mechanically because it's what you do. And then you forget the motivation for doing it. And then when you don't get the pat in the back and you don't get the thanks and there seems to be no reward if you're doing it for the wrong reason then that really, really bothers you. But when you're doing it for him knowing that he acknowledges he knows he sees he marks it and thus it gives you the strength to continue and to keep at it. Who are the ministers of ministry? Is that some elite, select group of people who only stand on platforms? No. 
Is that people who are just especially gifted? Who've got great talent? No. Who are the ministers of ministry? Verse 11 tells us. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. You should underline that in your Bible, that we desire that each one of you, no exceptions, everyone included, nobody left out. In Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 says, and he gave, verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, to the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Our ministry, let us use it with our ministry. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so everybody has got individual abilities, talents, gifts given by God for the use of of building up the whole body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith. Now, when you come in here on any typical Sunday morning, you probably don't realize there is at least 28 people who has been actively, practically doing something to make this service happen. All the people on the worship team, me, all the platform people, people doing the communion, preparing the table, distributing the table, the people who's doing the sound, the video, 
people who greet your hand, greet you at the door by a shake of your hand, people who administrate the offerings after the service, the Sunday school with the teachers and the helpers. Whenever you count all of that together, you're talking about at least 28 people in any typical given Sunday morning. Now, if you go further than that, and you start to count everybody who is actively involved one way or another in a practical way within the church here, you're talking at least 45 people. When you add the mums and tots, when you add the youth and all of that, when you start to add everybody, there's at least 45 people who are actively, practically involved in a church our size just to make it work. And if they didn't do that, then we would not be here. It just would not work. So this is what I mean by ministry and serving. And it takes every single person. By the way, out of that 45, there's at least 12 of those people who are double jobbing. Some are triple jobbing. Some because they have got the talent and the ability to do it. Some because there's nobody else to do it. And nobody else has volunteered to do it. So they have to do it. So there is ample opportunity. There's great opportunity for the whole body. Every joint supplying. Each one of you to show the same diligence. That's what the scripture says. I told you this before, but it bears repeating the story concerning four people. Everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but in the end, nobody did it. Everybody got angry over this because it really was somebody's job. Everybody thought somebody would do it, but nobody realized that anybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when actually nobody asked anybody. <laughs> and sometimes as somebody said, after all said and done, there's more said than done. <laughs> So who are the ministers for ministry? You. You're the ministers for ministry. You say, well, I, I don't have much ability. I don't have much talent. Listen, there's something you can do. There's something you can do. Some way that you can help. Look at the means of ministry. Verse 10, words like labor, work, ministered. In Matthew chapter 25. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from the other as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. 
And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger or take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, insomuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You did it to me. Insomuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. See how practical that all that is. You visited me in prison. When I was sick, you came to me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. In Matthew 10, verse 40, He who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Jesus brings ministering down right to a very cup of cold water. Giving somebody because you love the Lord and you've got compassion for people because Christ put that in your heart. You give somebody even a drink of cold water. He says, you'll not lose your reward because that's ministering in my name for my sake because I care about people. You see how simple that can be? So it's no good saying, well, I can't sing or I can't preach or I can't play an instrument or I can't do this or I can't do that. You can give a cup of cold water, can't you? Christine, that person you went to visit in the hospital, that's ministry. You did that out of compassion because you care about her soul. All that hard work he's doing in the charity shops. You're standing there in the cold sometimes. You're putting stuff out when it's raining. You're lifting stuff. You're running about day after day after day. And you're touching the lives of people on the other side of the world in Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake. And all of that helps to do that. Claire, tomorrow... In the Philippines, has a team of 15 doctors and nurses. And they're flying out to Cebu. And then they're getting boats to Leyte and some of the other islands. And they're going to find people that they can help. All of that is possible because of what we have given and because of what you and the charity shop have done. All of that is possible because somebody has worked and did something practical. 
So whenever we talk about ministry, sometimes we get the idea, this has to be, be something from the platform. Whenever Wilson there goes out in the street at night looking for people coming out of pubs, that's far away from a church building, isn't it? But he does that for the love of Christ, to reach some precious soul for Jesus. Even a cup of cold water in my name. The thing that is often missing in ministry, particularly whenever it seems like that nobody sees, nobody notices, maybe nobody seems to care, and there's no pat on the back, there's no acknowledgement, there's no well done at the end of it. The thing that's often missing is faith and patience. Because that's what verse 12 talked about. Those who through faith and patience heard the promises. And sometimes you just need to be patient. And say, Lord, it doesn't really matter if nobody sees. It doesn't matter if nobody notices or nobody comes up and says, well done. You see, you notice, you care, you mark it, and one day there'll be a reward. One day God will acknowledge and honor what you have done. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap If you do not lose heart, if you do not faint, is the way the AV puts it. Ephesians 6 and 8, knowing whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Psalm 58 and 11, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Just about the last thing Jesus said, Revelation 22 and 12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his works. So even if you do not get paid, rewarded in this life, you can absolutely guarantee from the Scriptures that your reward will be in the glory. Will be a crown awaits. It will be worth it. It will be worth it. If you're feeling today it's not worth it, it is worth it. It will be worth it. And you will be handsomely rewarded. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. You will be rewarded in the glory. And what a reward awaits those who minister to him and for him and to him. Glory to God. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Lord, we thank you for the rewards that you have for your children. We bless you, Lord, that all eternity, it will take all of eternity for us to appreciate all of the rewards 
that you will have for those who serve you. Lord, even if it's just a little thing like a cup of cold water, your promise is we will not lose our reward. So thank you, Lord. Whenever we lose sight, Lord, of what we have done or what we are doing, when nobody seems to care and nobody seems to notice, we thank you, Lord, that your eye has seen it. You have marked it in your records. And we bless you, Lord, that payday is coming someday. Thank you, Lord, for every reward that you've given us in this life. The many blessings, Lord, that we have received, all of us. Sometimes we forget that, Lord, forgive us. So much to be thankful for. And so we praise you today. It's a joy to serve you, to love you, to know you. Lord, whatever way we can do it, great or small, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of ministering unto you and unto your people in Jesus' name.